Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Okay, we're coming to you from Truth and Consequences, New Mexico. Not so. There's a city called Truth and Consequences. Truth or Consequences. And we're going to deliver some hard truths today, and there are clearly consequences for not paying attention. There you go. You got it all put together. Well, let's do it then. Let's do it and tell the truth. Let's do it and tell the truth. And for the people in truth or consequences, pay attention. And for the other listeners out there, you need to do the same thing. It's still all about truth or consequences. Well, we wanted to keep going uh, with our conversation and our theme around coaching, mentorship, and sponsorship. And we want to do at least a couple in-depth sessions on coaching. And as we were talking about it, Bear, one of the thoughts I had is maybe a good starting point would be to talk a little bit about the benefits of taking a coaching approach. And my initial thought was there are at least two folks out there in our listening audience who are leaders. One of the ways of thinking about this is how do we encourage a coaching approach to leading. Now, when I say that, Bear, do you have any thoughts on what other approaches might be in terms of if we don't take a coaching approach, what's our alternative choices? Well, certainly you could take an approach of being very directive, hmm. which is to say, just do what I ask you to do and you'll be successful. Just operate uh, with a form of obedience and you'll succeed with me. That would be very directive. You could also have what's called the laissez-faire approach, which is hands-off, mm. just kind of don't interfere until you see something going wrong and then step in and correct it. But that's really a approach where often leaders who use that are actually abdicating. Mm. They're actually mm-hmm. allowing the results to be chance. Uh, as opposed to get get in there and get involved and give some direction or give some assistance support. Mm-hmm. I see those two. I also see an approach which is what I've traditionally called empowered, which your goal is to give the opportunity to perform and function as an, a bit independently within parameters, which is say you want to give the power to the people who've got to get the job done. Mm-hmm. As a leader, I don't think you can ever transfer responsibility for outcomes, but I think you can change the source of action for outcomes that it goes to the person doing the job rather than top down. This is kind of more of a bottom up approach where I'm allowing them to take more control and take more action without my parenting them. Well, you know, I certainly see a coaching approach fitting in with the empowerment model. I mean, I really do think leaders who coach tend to be those same leaders who empower. And that's one of the positive benefits of using a coaching model is you get more empowered employees, employees who are willing to take on more responsibility, employees who are willing to buy in. At least that would be my thinking regarding coaching. One of the other thoughts I had is an alternative model for coaching, and this probably is more in relationship to working with coworkers, working on committees. If we're outside the professional structure, working with kids, working with colleagues, is advice giving. I always find that people are remarkably prepared to share their advice. And one of the thoughts I had is that, you know, I'm not sure you want to share a piece of your mind. I don't think you've got enough to spare. 
And oftentimes when I'm sitting in a meeting and thinking, why is this person dogging? Do they think I haven't thought about this? Do they think I'm uh, clueless as to how I'm trying to approach this? So I think one of the approaches that I find in a way more often used and most amusing to me is people who immediately feel like in any situation, what is really needed is my advice. Uh Any thoughts on that? Oh, no, no. I agree with you that there are a lot of people who make coaching synonymous with advice giving. Yes. And they're really not connected in the same way. I mean, in coaching, you're certainly advising someone, but you're doing it not based on your opinion, but on your analysis of their performance, your analysis of their skill set. You're not doing it based on your own opinions. You're watching the, the data, as it were, and figuring out from that picture what they can do behaviorally that will improve their performance. Well, let's talk a little bit about some specific benefits. If this episode is going to have any impact at all, it's going to be on the idea that people out there need to take more seriously a coaching approach to working with others and developing them. And I think one of the benefits for leaders in particular is it reduces an overdependence on the leader. When you actually coach and do those things that we think of as coaching, and we'll talk about those behaviors and skills maybe in another episode you get people actually working on their own, back to the empowerment model. You get people assuming more responsibility. You get people thinking more about what it is they're being asked to do and less inclined to say, tell me what you think we ought to do. Give me your best shot. In fact, we've talked about this before, but the whole notion of when an employee comes to a leader and says, what should I do about this? At that moment in time, if they actually give an answer, they're kind of stepping in it, right? They are. So you want to respond to that or comment on that? No, no, I think that's absolutely true. In coaching, what you're doing is you're turning over responsibility for outcomes. I mean, I think of an athletic example. When you coach a sprinter doing the running, you're not going to receive any medals that are awarded. In the coaching process, you're turning over the responsibility to produce successful outcomes to the runner, to the Mm -hmm. coachee. And so in that regard, you're creating a picture of what they can do and how they best do it. But in the end, if they don't execute, that's on them. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that one of the things that does happen when you're doing an effective job of coaching is that you reduce overthinking the role. The coaches see it in very small increments, hand it on, and then the coaches have to execute. They have to apply those principles. You know, if I were to translate that to an organizational setting, I would say often leaders fail when they don't coach because what they end up doing is they end up working on the issue as well. Your analysis of a runner, it's as if the coach is out there running alongside when you think of an organization. Okay, I'm going to run alongside you and we're going to both make this work better. And you would say, well, that's crazy. And track, you'd say, that doesn't get anywhere. Coaches aren't designed to do that. It's the runner that runs. And yet we so often in organizational settings think we've got to get in there and do it with them when in fact the real role is to help them be more effective at doing it themselves. Exactly. I guess the bottom line of this is when leaders don't coach, that's a picture you can often get that the leaders have taken on too much People have become over-dependent upon them. They've actually reduced the effectiveness of their workforce because what the workers should be doing, they're now doing. So they've made them less effective in what they're supposed to do. And at the same time, they complain because they're way too overworked. So that's yeah, that one issue of coaching helps you move away from or reduces the over-dependence on you. Think of another one of a benefit of coaching as a leader. Yeah, I think one of the things that you can do if you're effective as a coaching leader is that you can create a greater self-sufficiency in the people you're coaching. Mm. 
they learn quickly to depend upon themselves. They learn quickly to be interdependent with each other. They don't function dependently on the coach. They begin to believe and know that they're responsible for the outcomes. And I think that's a really nice byproduct of effective coaching is that the people you're coaching actually become more Mm -hmm. self-sufficient. I think when you're coaching in a way that's not producing that, there's something wrong with your style. There's something wrong with your approach to coaching. You're creating a greater dependency, which happens, then my feeling would be that you're coaching in a less effective manner. Can you push that a little further? I guess what I'm hearing you say, and I like it, is that one way of gauging how much you're using a coaching style or whether you're being effective at coaching is the degree with which the people you are coaching are self-sufficient. Any other things you'd put in there on that in terms of playing that one out? Yeah, I would say as, as an indicator, when people start coming to you less and maintain their effectiveness, you're doing a good job as a coach. Hmm. When they're coming to you frequently and they're constantly asking you to affirm what they're doing, when in fact they're doing fine, I think that reflects poor leadership, poor coaching. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be individuals that way. They're naturally dependent. But by and large, one of the ways I know I'm doing a good job coaching is when they're not asking me the same question over and over. Interesting. When they're not looking at something and just repeating their view of it and ignoring what I've been offering to them in a, in a coaching mm-hmm. regard. So that's an actual measure to me. You know, what's interesting in that is I think some leaders would say to themselves, if my employees are not coming and seeking me out, maybe I'm not being as effective as I should be. And you're saying in a way just the opposite. No, if your employees are out there getting the done and their performance is still being high and they're not seeking you out, that's a good sign, not a bad sign. So it's a very good sign because to me, if you're in an organization and I keep forcing people or promoting people being dependent upon me, pretty soon what those people learn is that their job isn't to get the job done. Their job is to get to me first. <laughs> because if they can get to me first, then I'll have the answer for them and I'll give them direction and they'll be back at it until they run into a small obstacle of some kind. And they'll be right back at my door. Really, the leaders, their people find out that their job is to get to, to get to them first. Been there, done that. <laughs> I think of all the supervisors we've had in life as we move through and how often they've not used a coaching model. You know, they've used the other models of advice giving, directing, uh, telling, or laissez-faire, not doing anything. And so we end up getting caught up in that system of we got to get there first. And that leads me to another one. I think one of the things that can happen oftentimes, and I've seen this maybe individual leaders, but is even more characteristic of groups of leaders at a certain level, is that they become bottlenecks. That is, in this business of getting to you first, getting to me first, I'm needing approval and I'm needing you to make the call. Because what I found out in the system is if I make the call, someone above me is going to overrule it and change it. So why go through all that and only to have it change? So what I end up doing is kicking it upstairs, so to speak. And I've worked with a couple organizations that I have found, they keep saying, we'll be sitting in meetings and they'll say, why is this decision back? Why do we have to keep making this decision? And I find it fascinating because I want to say, because you're the ones that made it the last time and it didn't work. You're not giving it over to the people who could make it, who have the knowledge to make that decision. And so I think one of the things that can happen unwittingly is that leaders can become a bottleneck if they don't coach because the decisions always get funneled to them and we're always taking it upstairs rather than making decisions at the level we're supposed to make them. Any thoughts on that idea? One of my ways of looking at people's coaching leadership style and organization is to agree to which they've remained conversational experts in what their people do, but not hands-on experts. Mm. 
And I think that what you have to be willing to do as a coaching leader is trade your hands-on expertise to become conversationally expert and leave the hands-on work to the people you're coaching. Mm -hmm. Again, I think even in athletics, you look at those individuals who've had such successful careers trying to go on and be coaches, and a lot of them never succeed because once they get there, they can't keep their hands off. They're unwilling to give up their former status to move to a status where their followers, the people they coach, become the heroes. The people they coach become the stars. And I think that that's a real dilemma for mm-hmm. those who are outstanding and beyond athletics in, in an organizational sense. If I was the superstar at one level and say in finance the organization and I moved up, it's hard for me to take my hands off that former role and allow someone else to be the expert and me to be more of the background advisor. You know, given that perspective, Talk to me a little bit about your view of the player coach. You know, we've had historically, there have been some classic examples of players who have gone on to be coaches. Wasn't Pete Rose one of those, I think, at one point where he was a player coach? I, I don't think he's someone I would hold up as a model of much of anything. Like <laughs> well, I, wonder- I would say I would say most in baseball, most managers have played at one time. Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, most managers have been average or below average in their performance. Mm. The thing that that demonstrates to me is they know what it takes to be successful. Mm. I mean, there are some players, using baseball examples, King Griffey Jr., who is this remarkable instant talent. You've got other guys like Pujols and Sammy Sosa, all these guys, big names. They have this natural talent. But if they try to go into coaching, they don't know how to translate that experience to the players who have to have a coach who gives them some insight. But I remember a coach for the Tigers, Mayo Smith. He was interesting in that he'd been a, a minor leaguer. But when he started coaching, he knew what it took to be great. He had seen it. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, say a Michael Jordan type, they never make good coaches because they really think people can do what they did when what they did was so natural and didn't require uh, some of the exceptional efforts and discipline that others have to have to get to that level. You know, and one of the things that you're saying to me in that is that leaders who are willing to take on a coaching approach know their limitation. And that's it's another really important aspect of leadership right. to say, I may not be the brightest. Your brightest may be out there doing the job and your job is to help them get better at what they do and not try to do it for them or to think that you can do it better than them. And so I'm hearing you say, and it's interesting because I hadn't thought about it before, but leaders who do feel I was the best at this and can't let that go really do end up not being as good at coaching because they don't see the things that need to be addressed as clearly because they think everybody can do it like I do it. Interesting stuff. Let's move on to one more. We're getting very close to time. Uh, One other argument that I've heard about a benefit of coaching as a leader is it helps your team or the individual stay focused on priorities and the important work. Any thoughts on that? Care to comment on that, on the idea of how coaching helps people stay focused? Well, I think that the coach is the one who has the overall view. Mm. The coach is not immersed in the activity or it's not required of them to be successful in their role to use the behaviors that the coaches are going to have to use. Mm-hmm. So they stand a bit above the fray. And from that level, they can see things that maybe the teammates or the individual can't see. Mm. So they can then focus their attention on, if you will, the right things rather than the extraneous things. So mm-hmm. I think a part of the success of being a coaching leader is that you are just enough above the performance level to be able to direct people's attention to the behavior that's going to be required to be successful. 
you remind me in that phrase of staying above the fray and being able to get the bigger picture. And I'm dropping the name of the movie, but there was a movie Billy Crystal was in and Jack Palance was in. The cowboy movie? Yes, where the big phrase in that movie was, remember the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And I think that really is a role that a coach can play. And oftentimes a leader that gets down into the weeds, gets into the work, actually is beginning to perform, sometimes can get lost and lose their role of being that person who keeps the main thing the main thing. And so I like that idea that coaching is that way of helping them stay focused, the workforce, helping others stay focused. I even think in this one, uh, parenting comes into play. I think when we coach our children, what we're really doing by the way we deal with them versus just simply telling them, don't do that, or simply giving advice, this is what you ought to do, and we're naturally going to do that as parents, is by coaching them, we get them to begin to understand what's more important here. What are the priorities? What are the values of my family? What are they really talking about here? And so that becomes a very important aspect of using this approach is you're helping the other individual come to grips with what ought to be important in this setting. I think what I'm hearing going on, Bob, when you say that is the coaches really help you keep from spinning your wheels. Mm, great observation. That you're you're unless not, you're NASCAR, right? And then NASCAR, they right. want you to spin your wheels, right? Then you want to spin your wheels. Get going. But by and large, since most of us aren't in NASCAR, <laughs> uh, it seems to me that a coach really helps me understand that certain behavior I'm involved in is like a treadmill. Mm. I'm putting out a lot of effort, but I'm not getting anywhere. And I do think coaches provide that and challenge you not to spend your energy that way. That's part of that role of coaching. And I think that coaching leader you find is that they're always a challenging Mm. team or the individual. Mm -hmm. And one phrase I heard once was, if you're going to be a good coach, you need to agitate your people, but not irritate them. Mm. Mm -hmm. I do think that's the, the opportunity of a coach is to agitate to stir, to mm-hmm. challenge. Yeah, in fact, I was looking for a quote by a fellow who was a significant coach in Australian soccer. Uh, he said, the interesting thing about coaching is that you have to trouble the comfortable and comfort the troubled. Now, that does a very fun turn on a phrase that you really do have to agitate, particularly for those who are getting too comfortable. But then at the same time, what a coach does is they, they comfort those who are actually troubled. And so you've got that dual role that the coach plays. Well, Bear, we have run out of time. My observation would be what we really wanted to do in this brief episode was to set a case for why be a coach, to make the argument that coaching as an approach in leading, parenting, working with colleagues is a preferred approach because you get more mileage. And several of the things we commented on, an overdependence on you, creating greater self-sufficiency and others, all of those things become very important as you develop a coaching approach. Any last thoughts? No, I think uh, you're right. This session was primarily a promotion of coaching as an approved style. It was the belief that if you choose coaching with people, you'll get benefits from it. They will get benefits and you will get benefits Mm -hmm. from it. And so today we primarily focus on the benefits you get. And as we go through with some of the uh, skill sets and some of the things we really want to talk about uh, next in terms of what coaches focus on and then what they provide, hopefully some of the benefits to the person who's being coached become more clear. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twin talk 46 
at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Thank you.